0: Read along with me, if you would, please. When the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God has given you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall separate three cities for yourself in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God has given you to possess. You shall prepare roads for yourselves. And divide into three parts the territory of your land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit. That any man slayer may flee there. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there. That he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in time past. As when a man goes into the woods with his neighbor to cut timber. And his hand swings the stroke with the axe to cut down the tree. And the head slips from the handle. And strikes the neighbor so that he dies. He shall flee to one of these cities and live, lest, notice the word that's there, the avenger. So you notice we were talking about that. Lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him because the way is long, and kill him, though he was not deserving of death, since he had not hated the victim in time past. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall separate three cities for yourself. Now, if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he swore to your fathers, and gives you the land which he promised to give to your fathers, and if you keep all the commandments and do them, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to walk in and always in his ways, then you shall add three more cities for yourself besides these three, lest innocent blood be shed in the midst of your land in which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And thus, guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, rises against him and strikes him mortally so that he dies, and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. You, I shall not pity him. You shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that it might go well with you. Verse 14: You shall not remove your labors, your neighbors, your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Verse 15: One witness shall rise shall not rise against a man. Concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men and the controversy I'm sorry, both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness, who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eyes shall not pity. Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand. And foot for foot. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you so much for the blessing of this time. I pray that you would captivate us in your word now. May your word burst open and come alive for each of us, Lord, more than just the standard here. More than just tenants. Lord, let your word be so profoundly, personally ours today. Speak fluent, each of us, bespoke to each of our ears what our hearts and ears need to hear today. That every one of us could truly know that we've been properly spoke to by you today. So get me out of your way. Immerse me in your spirit, Lord, that you would appear. And come upon me in a way that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. And now, Lord, have your word. Be glorified in it. Redeem every second. Lord, if there be any who have yet to know you as Lord and Savior, let today be the day of their salvation. I commit, Lord, this day to you. And pray now, Lord, that you just go at us. And may we have so much fun. In your word now, I pray, as we learn of your heart, your will, your love for us, and your call upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. (laughs) It will never be about a man's authority, but rather God's word. Having said that. In 1989, a new game came out called Sim City. Some of you are old enough to know and some of you are even old enough to appreciate the game. Some of you are feeling old just hearing that. It would morph ultimately into The Sims, which I would just learn was the highest grossing game until 2012. The idea of the game was Simple. You kind of, you were kind of the city planner. You started with a few buildings, and then as it grew, you added, you know, whatever it would be, until you ultimately added a hospital and a university and an airport, and you became a major city. And the idea was, you started with this little thing, you invested in it, as it developed, then you added more, and as it developed, you added more. What what if God were to place some city? What would that look like? Well, that's really what we have in the book of Deuteronomy. See, so, you know, almost everything really has already been listed before Deuteronomy, and thus its name, Second Law. And yet. He doesn't just put it in the same order as he did before, because God now is actually presenting it as he would to a classic Hebrew mind, thematically, with theme. He's going to put this idea and this idea and this idea, and he's going to put them together. And as he puts them together, we have to be a little bit more of a Sherlock, which is fun here. But we're looking and we're going, okay, I've gotten kind of the main idea. Now, why these things together? Why this sandwich? Why is he presenting it this way? And I love this chapter for that. Then this chapter and the next one just make me mental with excitement, because I love what God has to say. Did you notice, by the way, that really for the first 13 verses, there's really one primary theme. And the theme, really, in essence, if you think about it, really is this idea of making sure that there was a place where the people could go and be safe that had committed that had killed someone accidentally. So that's really kind of the main girth of this whole chapter are these first 13 verses. And then you have from verse 15 to the end of the chapter, and you have a second section or a third, if you will, section on this area of a false witness. Have you noticed that? In between is one verse, and it's an interesting verse because the verse is about not moving this landmark that the men of old will put. Now, what's interesting is the men of old haven't even been men yet. I mean, he's talking about you're going to look back one day and when you go and inherit the land, which, by the way, they haven't inherited yet. But one day you're going to look back and go, oh, remember when great great grandpa, you know, set these boundaries. And he's like, I don't want you moving those boundaries. And it's interesting because it's one verse tucked into between these two really massively intense parts. I mean, you have this first part where it's like, hey, look, at a guy's going to die if this isn't done right. An innocent man's going to die if this isn't done right. And the other part of it here is if we do this right, a guilty man's going to die. Somewhere in between those two is a single verse, and this single verse is about making sure that when God sets a boundary, it's to stay. It doesn't matter what season, it doesn't matter what culture, it doesn't matter what location, it doesn't matter what time period. If God sets a standard, it's a standard. There are standards that we could set culturally. There are standards we could set that are sort of geographically or that we could set chronologically. But there are other ones called anomic standard. And a standard means that it just transcends all of those things. If God says it, so understand God is perfect knowledge of every culture, of every kingdom, of every time, of every location. And when he said something it's like this is good for all mankind. And all of a sudden then I have to start putting this together. So what would it be like if God started building his own Sim city? Well, first of all, he wouldn't start with buildings. He would start with people. And I find it interesting, what he usually starts with is a single human being and him. Now, that's an Adam. That's a Noah. That's an Abraham. That's a Joseph, if you will. That's a Moses. That's a David. That's Jesus. And in each of the cases, it starts with them, and there's, and there's an individual pulled in. It's a Nathaniel that's called in, or a, or, or a, you know, somebody that's a Peter that's called, and then it's his brother, or it's a John and a James. You know, it's, it's a Nathaniel that's pulled into things, and I love how that works. It's an Eve for Adam. With Noah, ultimately, it will be his sons that will populate the planet again. With Abraham, it'll be his wife and a promise of a child that's yet to come. With Joseph, it'll be being restored to that family. With Moses, if you think about it, it'll be being restored to that family again. It'll be Aaron, his brother, and Miriam, his his sister, and the nation. And I see as God takes a person and he goes, come on, come in with me. And then as he takes that person, he goes, now let's start building. We're going to start building with you. Peter, I'm going to build on that rock. Whatever it is, you know, it's like the rock, the testimony of the gospel. And it's like, all right, I want to start with you. Come follow me. And I love the fact that God isn't just going, all right, all y'all right here, come follow me. As if he's a tour guide. You know, it's like we're walking, we're walking, we're going to the bread thing. I'm going to multiply. It's just not that at all. It's an individual that he pulls. And then he starts adding to it. And so he'll add. So Jesus will call an individual. And then he'll put him in a small family. In the case, it'll be a twelve. And then from the 12, it'll become 70 that are sent out. And from the 70, it'll become this big church. And from this church, it'll become this massive, world-reaching ministry. And I love how God works. He builds from thing to thing to thing. But what happens when God goes, okay, now that we've got sort of a big enough thing that we have a society now, we have more than just a little family, well, now we have to start setting some standards. And what happens is there's two aspects of it. How is this going to affect everything on the outside? And what standard do we set for everything inside? This chapter and the previous chapter were really about setting the standards on the inside. And so he starts looking, and goes, this is how we now as a culture treat each other. We started with an individual, in this case, let's say it's an Abraham, and from an Abraham... With his wife, there will ultimately be an Isaac, and with an Isaac, there will be a Jacob, and with a Jacob, there will be a 12, and with a 12, there will be a tribes, and the tribes will come out of Egypt, and with all of that, you've become now, we're standing there as 12 tribes, we're standing there as a group of people, two million people standing and looking at each other, that started with a guy and a call. It's like, but now we need to make sure that we treat each other right. Now, for us, how, do we pertain, how does that pertain to us? Well, actually, it's quite simple. Because it started, by the way, you'll never come to Christ as a group. Jesus doesn't take group reservations. Aren't you thankful? It isn't like, all right, we'll get the Pentecostals over here because we need a little noise. And we're going you know, to get the sort of liturgicals over here. So we want to make sure they have their quiet. And we want to have, I don't know what to do with you, Calvary Chapel guys. we will just going to stick you wherever you go. And it's, I mean, it just isn't like that because he calls his sheep by name. And it's, it's always going to start with just you and him. And if it doesn't start with you and him, it's not going to end the way it should. It's got to start there. And so the Lord says, Hey, look, I'm calling you by name. I know who you are and I want you. I want you so bad that I'd rather die than live without you. And here is that call. And he calls out to you and you say yes. And as that grows into something, and here we are looking at each other, diverse from all different parts of the world, sitting in this room together, looking at each other going, we are kind of strange, motley batch of people, which I love. Like a good English recipe where it's sort of like three things that make sense, and then I think they just close their eyes and just grab something and go, beetroot, what? Okay, I won't put it in. And I, and I kind of like that in the sense where you just kind of go, I just, somehow I kind of think it's going to work out. And I think that the Lord's doing that here where he's just going to go on beetroot. And we'll grab a little bit of Ghanaian and we'll put a little bit of, you know, cam. You know, just I love how he pulls it and oh, Let's get a French guy in here. Let's get, oh, we'll put a Canadian. And I just love how he puts all of that together. And understand, as he starts building this thing, he's like, "No, I want you guys to start thinking about how you're going to treat it, how you're going to treat each other. And here's the point of the chapter is that I want to make sure that the innocent are safe. That's really the whole chapter is about. The beautiful part is how it reaches this beautiful apex where it goes. Follow it with me. Take a look. So this is what it says here, right? It says in the beginning of this one, notice in verse one, it's a when, not an if. Again, and this is a great place to start. Uh, Second Corinthians chapter one, by the way, tells us that all the promises of God, not just some or most of them, but all the promises of God are yes and amen. Now, if you haven't grown up in church, you probably go, what? All the promises are yes and amen. Yes, the idea of it is if God says it, it's going to happen. You can bank on it. There's the point. Which is a great place to start. God is our faithful witness. That's how this starts. He's going to lay out promises that are nurtured underneath the umbrella of a covenant. And I remind you, a covenant demands a relationship. This is when I've already promised this. And if I've promised it, it's going to happen. So when you enter in, you're driving out people who have openly declared war against this living God. And God, because the entire earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, he has the right to evict them, and he is. And this nation now is going to to take their spot. He says, now when that happens, verse 2, I want you to separate cities. Go ahead if you would, Daniel, and flash that map just to give us a little bit of an idea here and the the idea is quite simple here In verses 2 through 13 then the point is this there's two different ways a person dies at the hands of another one is intentionally and the other is unintentionally notice by the way there is an issue of an avenger in either case god doesn't seem to blame a person for being angry or grieving at the death of someone they love but what happens is God says, I want to make sure. If I were just to say, hey, be cool with people, and if they don't really mean to kill someone, take it easy on them. God could do that, but not take, you know, taking it easy means a whole lot of things to a whole lot of people. By the New Testament, by the way, when Gamaliel stands up because of Peter and John, will not stop mentioning the name of Jesus Christ. He says, you know what I suggest? I don't know if any of you have ever thought of this, but maybe this really is of God. And he says, you know, my recommendation is leave them alone. If it's of God, we can't fight it anyways. We'll just fight God. And if it isn't of God, it's going to die on its own. And it says they all agreed. Okay, we'll leave them alone. And it says, and then when they beat them. Now, what part of you thinks leaving alone is beating? And that just tells me what happens if you left to define your own terms. So God says, let's make this really clear. There are places, and God's going to call them refuge. Well, that's a really important word here. A refuge is a place... Of absolute safety. There's the point. And the idea is simple here. He says, I want three of them. I want you to divide the land and I want you to put three of them out there. Now, ultimately, there will be six. There'll be three on the east side of the Jordan. By the way, that would be Bezer, Ramoth, and Golan. And then there'll be three, if you notice, on the left side or on the western side. That's Israel proper today. The right would be Jordan. And that's Kadesh, Shechem, and Hebron. Notice, by the way, Kadesh is in the north. Notice then Shechem is in the middle and Hebron is in the south. Kereth about the fourth city. And he gives us standards here. Notice this, by the way, in verse 3. He says, You shall prepare roads for yourself. Thank you, Dan. You shall prepare roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land in which the Lord your God has given you to inherit that the manslayer may flee. Now, there are two standards that have to be. One is that it has to be easy to get to. You have to prepare roads. I don't want it to be the kind of thing where a weak individual who accidentally kills somebody, Toomey's having a bad day, she was making biscuits for her friends, reaches over and accidentally grabs the powdered bleach. Looked kind of like flour. We kind of wondered why all of a sudden dinner took a strange turn about dessert time. And you wouldn't want to put Tumi in a place where she had to go and fight her way like born from one side to the other to get into the city. I want this city to be one. You build roads. If there are any roads in this nation, they're going to be for this purpose, to get you to absolute safety. Oh, there's another thing, too. I want them to be close. You don't just put three of them up in the north. So it's like, oh, the north, that's where a manslayer goes. Look, at I want one in each of the areas here. So that no matter where you go, it should be, by the way, the idea was, I mean, I don't know if you realize how small Israel is, but it should be so that no matter where you are, it should be only a day's journey to get to a place like this. And I think, I get the idea here. See, refuge needs to be something that can't be unattainable, because if it's unattainable, we won't go. We'd want to go, but we'd be too afraid to leave our house. We'd be locked up in our house with a shotgun or whatever the case is, pepper spray in one hand and a taser in the other. And I can't help but think about how at least 13 different times in the book of Psalms alone, like 9-9, that word is used. And every time it's used, it's used of the Lord. The Lord is our refuge for those who are oppressed in our time of need. And I get the idea here because all of a sudden, if I start putting these pieces together, because I'm always looking for Jesus because he told me to. He said, behold, I come in the volume of the book. You search the scriptures thinking that in them you possess eternal life. Every one of them are the ones that testify of me. So I'm looking for that. And I think, well, what would it be like then? I, okay, I go, okay, well, wait a minute. We need to make sure we have good level roads. And we want to make sure that they're close. I go, oh, wait a minute. I get it because isn't that what John the Baptist told us in John chapter 1? And they said, well, who are you then? If you're not the Messiah, you're not the prophet that we looked at last week or a couple weeks ago in Deuteronomy 18. It says, "I'm the voice of one I'm crying, crying and crying in the crying in the, crying the, crying. the wilderness, it's just like Isaiah said, Isaiah 40. 7, 40. 7, Make a straight path for the Lord. And we knew that because the idea is when a king or a dignitary came, dignitary came, we made sure that it was an easy road for them. Back in those days, a limo was called a litter. You know what a litter is? It's basically something that's carried on the shoulders of men. So you had this box, you sat in and on your couch with six to eight men that stood on the sides, three or four on a side, and they carry and you sat on their shoulders while they you know the last thing you want is to be in a place where the road's rough because once one guy falls, the rest of them fall, and that means you go down too. I mean, let's face it, if the queen were to come here, more than likely every pothole would be filled on the streets on her route too. So he's like, look at, it. and he says, and but I love what he says because we'll talk, we'll develop that as we get to our hinge verse. He says, look at, I want every valley filled and every hill leveled, and I get it because the idea is if we're going to go and I want to go from here straight to that baptismal back there, which isn't our baptismal because you're not going to fit in there anyways, is that on one side of it I can look at this hill and go, I'll never get over this to get there. He goes, I don't want, that. I want to go on. On the other side of it, he goes, there are valleys. And you go, oh, good, we're going to go downhill. But the problem with going into a valley is that it just makes it harder on the other side. It looks easier for the moment, but it's actually more difficult when, in practicality when you have to get to where you need to go. Interesting. So he says, here's the deal. I want this to be a very reachable place. He goes, let me give you an example. So here's the example. Chris is on his way, he's, kind of, he's heading out, and he goes, you know what, let's go out, it's Christmas time, let's go out and get us a tree. What do you think? He's going to be a good husband, he's going to show himself, grabs an axe, he goes, you know what, let's go, and I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to, I want to take Jeffrey with us, because I feel a little safer when I've got a guy 6'6", six, six next to me, from Ghana. So Jeffrey's like, yeah, it's a great idea, bro, and so the two of you go out, and you head out into one of those forests where it actually isn't illegal for you to cut down a tree. And you've, you've got your axe and you're kind of feeling, you, you, you're dressed in a flannel. You actually let your beard grow out a little bit just because you're feeling it. You even had maple syrup that morning. You just wanted to feel, you even bought a pair of boots that you haven't even broken in just to feel like a lumberjack for the moment. And you walk out there, I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. And he goes, check this out, Jeffrey, watch this. I'm going to take this tree down with one swing. And then he goes, And all of a sudden he realizes how light the stick has gotten halfway in the swing because the head of the axe swings off and just cracks Jeffrey in the face. And that tree goes down and he looks and goes, that's not what I meant. But I want you to realize something. The sense of dread of a person who kills someone accidentally. I mean, we're not looking at this from a cold, calculated thing. And we're so desensitized because we, it tells us, by the way, at least the the most recent survey that I've read, says that the average 12-year-old child has seen 40,000 murders on television by that point. 40,000. That's a lot of murders. One murder is a lot of murders. I don't know if you've ever watched somebody get killed before, but let me just say, if you actually see it in real life, murder isn't very entertaining anymore, anymore after that. When you watch somebody die, it becomes an infinitely different experience. Well, now all of a sudden he's got this horrible dread on him. He's like, oh, my goodness, what do I do? See, he's got a lot to deal with now. I mean, for the rest of his life, there is an image etched onto his face of watching Jeffrey die. That's not something he can change. But there's a lot more to it. I mean, that's beyond the practicality. Jeffrey's family in the Middle East, or any other where in the Middle East, that the way it's sort of handled is, is that somebody has the right to avenge the blood of someone in their family, because there is an honor at stake here. And under every other code in the Middle East, they just kill him. He doesn't have a there's there's no safety anywhere else in the Middle East. It isn't like you can go anywhere else. It's like sooner or later someone, and so Chris was the rest of his life wondering when the next tall, dark-skinned individual is going to jump out with an axe to take him down. And there's nothing he can do. And he's like, and it's like, which one of you wants to try to explain to his family, "Hey, it was an accident. Good luck with that. I mean, a text maybe, right? As far away as you can get." Face time at best, but you might put a mask on, you know. I mean, somewhere down the line, it's like, and look at here's the point is, it's like, look at you did not want to kill him, and you're already dealing with enough, and I want you safe. Because there is somebody that would come to avenge you. Interesting, the word for avenger here is the word "goal." Does that sound familiar for some of you Hebrew students? It's the word that's used in the book of Ruth. Interestingly enough, of the 104 times that the word is used, Over 60% of the times it's used, 64% of the time it's used. It's used of the word Redeemer, Redeemer. Only 13% of the time, by the way, are you actually going to see it be used as avenge or revenge? So God says, look, I want you safe. And so here's the deal. I want it to be a place that's very distinguished in the sense where it's very clear where the border is. So you know the moment you get here... It's safe. You're safe at this point. And you have to live there the rest of your life. As long as the high priest is alive, you're living there. The good news is, you're safe now. Chris will never have to worry about an When That's Jeffrey's surname, just so you know. Um, he'll never have to worry about anyone from his family avenging him. As long as he stays in that city, he's safe. And as long as he goes there, just like the name of the Lord's strong tower, the righteous run to it and are safe, he's going to be safe here. But what if the border wasn't very clear? Wouldn't that be horrible? What if you thought it was here, but it was actually here, and one of Jeffrey's family was hot on your tail? Do you know how important it is to know exactly where the border of that city is? Well, that becomes our hinge verse. Verse. He says, here's the, the defining element, by the way. Here's the thing that separates it is the issue of hatred. Did you notice that? Same thing Jesus brings up, by the way, in Matthew 5:21 and 22. When he says, this guy's never hated him before. This was an accidental death. And the clearest way to look at that is, do they have any form of hatred towards each other prior to this point? Did he ever hate him? Which tells you, by the way, that if you actually hate somebody, don't go in the woods to cut down a tree with them. I mean, why would you take someone you hate and go into the woods anyways with an axe in your hand? Shouldn't that be concerning in the first place? And you hear, cow, 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 cow. And you're like, no, no, I think we're going to go to the tree lot for this one. So he says, listen, here's the deal. I want it to be a safe place, and I want it to be... A straight shot. I want the roads paved so that, man, at the moment this happens, I mean, think about all the the myriad of emotions he's experiencing. Think about the things. I mean, wouldn't you just be in a place where you're just, you're about to pass out, anyways, just from all of the reality of all of this? I mean, the simpler it, listen, the simpler, the simpler it is to get there, the better. Wouldn't you think? And what that guy could use at a moment like that when he actually comes face to face. With the guilt of blood. When he becomes face to face with the guilt of blood. What he needs more than anything is someone who will love him enough to say, I'm taking you to the refuge now. And whether that be Claire. Whether that be someone that is one of Chris's close friends. Whether that be a good Samaritan. I'm going to get you as quickly and as simply as possible, without obstacle, to the refuge. Are you with me on that? Well, that takes us really then to our hinge verse, which is kind of a strange place to go here. So I'm looking and I'm going, okay, I get the idea of refuge. I get the idea that the Lord is my refuge, and I get the idea that that's where I need to run to. And notice, by the way, in verse 8, he does say this. Did you notice that it goes from when to if in verse 8? Hey, when I give this to you, he goes, but if. You stay with me and you obey me. That's what I'm going to hold you responsible to is obeying. And this is what the obedience looks like. It looks like love is what it looks like. If you love me like I call you to and you love each other the way I call you to, I'm going to grow you. But when I grow you, do not let it make getting to the refuge any harder. When I grow you, please don't let it complicate or make any more difficult getting to the refuge. So we'll add some so that they could stay closer again and that they could be simpler again. Does that make sense? Because here's the point. Is that every one of you has the opportunity to be a refuge guide. You see, Scripture makes clear that every one of us are guilty of the bloodshed of God's only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ. We stand with blood on our own hands. And in that blood on our own hands, somewhere down the line, and it tells us that the Holy Spirit's ministry is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's John chapter 16. So all of a sudden I start looking and I realize somewhere down the line, you start telling people the truth. And you tell them the honest truth in love, in gentleness, in respect, but you tell them the truth. Because what you really don't want to do is tell Chris, don't worry about it, Chris. Just live a nice life now and don't worry about the aunties. It's going to be cool. The most unloving thing you can do is give him a false sense of safety. Would that make sense? Because if he has a false sense of safety, the guy's going to get drilled by Jeffrey's family. And you'll be the one to blame for it. An honest witness is the person who's going to say, hey, listen, listen, listen. We need to get you there and we need to get you there quick. Because somewhere down the line, he becomes aware of the fact that he's guilty of this murder. Even though the difference is going to be whether or not this is identified as a manslaughter or a genuine, intentional murder. And all of a sudden, the whole thing hits the roof for me when I realize that Jesus on the cross says the strangest thing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Do you realize what Jesus said in that statement? Jesus, the victim, though willingly giving his life, as he says, I have the ability to lay down my life and pick it up again. Jesus willingly lays it down and he says, listen, for anyone who wants to run to that refuge, I want you to know I'm going to call you a manslaughter, a manslayer. I'm not going to call you a murderer here. Interesting, because the disciples will lay that out and say you're guilty of the murder of Christ. But Jesus is saying, look, I'm making this so that you know that there is a refuge for you. So that you don't get overwhelmed by the excessive guilt, but rather nowhere to go. So here's the deal: all of a sudden, in the middle of this and turning to the issue of a witness, he goes, "Listen, listen, listen!" In all of this, you can't change the boundaries. Deuteronomy 27:17 will reiterate it. Proverbs 23:10 tells us that if the people who remove the landmark, by the way, should never, it should never be the case, nor enter the fields of the fatherless. Hosea 5.10 tells us that the princes of Judah of its day, of of Hosea's day, were like those who move ancient landmarks. The bottom line is, as Romans says in chapter 3, let God be true and every man a liar. So follow me on this for a moment and then we'll get into our last portion. What does a landmark look like if we're talking about a refuge for Jesus? Well, it looks like one of two things. There's two different things you can do. One is you can just make it look like there's some place and you can make it look like the landmark's closer and in which case you're not safe there or you can take away the boundary altogether and you don't even know where it is. Like, well, wait a minute. That sounds an awful lot like a hill or a valley to me, like John said. So this is what it looks like. That's not really sin. Oh, come on. Okay, you know, why do you have to harp on this sin anyways? I mean, okay, it was a sin maybe back then in that culture or whatever, but that was, you know, back then. Sounds like an ancient landmark, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, but I've even seen an advertisement of of a book that says, a book written to the San Franciscans, not the Corinthians, the new Bible. You can guess what they're trying to rip out of that particular one. And they're like, well, we don't find it culturally applicable anymore. Well, of course it isn't. You know why? Because it isn't about trying to make the Bible apply culture, but it's rather trying to make culture reconciled to the Bible. Which one of the two is supposed to change? You know what we're saying is we're saying to the world, oh, I'm sorry, are we offending you? Well, you just set the boundaries wherever you want then, and we won't offend you. Well, what do you think we're going to get left? We're going to get the latrine. That's what we're going to get left. And you realize God's like, look, it, there are some boundaries. And this is the one side. One side looks like this. That's like, you know what? Just take it easy. And Jesus isn't the only way. You could kind of pray to Buddha and rub his belly a little bit. And it's like a salad bar. Just pick a little bit of whatever you like and put it on your plate. And in the end, this is good. This is your new religion, right? And it's like, I'm picking it out because I don't like what the way Jesus is. What don't you like about Jesus? That he died for you? That he called you by name? That he loves you when you hated him? Is that really where we're going to go with this? That he conquered death? And you realize Jesus' offer in this is profound because it's so radically different from everything else. But the moment someone else does that, they start blurring the lines. You don't even know where the refuge is anymore. Because Buddha's not offering you refuge. Muhammad's not offering you refuge. It's like, but here is a place of safety from the avenger. Here is a place where you can actually be free from this guilt that you experience in your own heart. But you need to know how clearly the line is. Every human being is a sinner, and the wage of sin is death. That's what we've earned. We've earned a curse, but it says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. That's what Second Corinthians tells us. That God himself chose to send his own son, perfect in every way, to pay the price for your and my sin, so that I didn't have to pay the bill anymore, nor did you. There's no other offer like that on the planet. He goes here's the deal on one side of it's like why would I want to blur the lines But I could rather just say here's how straight the road is and that liberal mindset's a valley Because what it happens is it looks Easier until you get down and you know what happens You know what a valley is when you get to the bottom of it. It's a pit is what it is And all of a sudden that thing that I thought was so safe It was really easy kind of coming down. You have to get up the other side and that just ain't happening I know all of a sudden you're like, man, I wish this was, I, I wish I could have gotten back to the beginning and built a bridge over this. And he says, I want those valleys filled. We don't play those games. But look at it's not just homosexuality. It's sexuality. Let's stop playing games here. There's, you know, it's like sexual sin is sexual sin. We cannot play sides on this. Marriage is still marriage, by the way. It's amazing how people rise up and say, we don't agree with that kind of marriage. We haven't even backed up biblical marriage for half half of a century. Well, you know what? In this fellowship, let's make a difference. Now, it's easier for me to say, right, I'm married. Well, you know, here's the deal. We stay married if we are married. And if you're not married, don't get married unless you're going to die that way. So you want to get divorced? Just come over. We'll kill you. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. The point is Simple. It's like, let's be, let's be what God calls us to be, because that's His boundary. Let's not just say, well, the world's kind of fluffed that up a little bit. I'm not, big, I'm not digging any ditches for you to walk through. We're going to call it what it is. And they're like, well, how, why is this sin harped on? Let's just say all sin needs to be left at the door, because what I really want is a straight shot to my refuge, and I just want to live there. So... On one side, there's the valley. That's the let's just play our games of just being a little, little bit liberal and let's take it easy. Well, again, I'm not saying get in someone's face and punch them. but what I am saying is do not be afraid to tell the truth. We're going to get there in just a moment as we close this up. But then there's also the hills. Remember the idea is as you grow, don't make it difficult now to get to that refuge. So you know what happens? is that as a church grows, for instance, as a fellowship grows, things become very structured. They kind of have to for survival to some degree. But all of a sudden, things can get so structured, you move away from Scripture, you move away from Jesus, you move away from the work of God's Holy Spirit to now something that's a little bit more like a consortium or a council. And a council is basically a bunch of guys who can do nothing that corporately decide nothing can be done. And they're like, but it just took hours to figure that out. And so now what happens is, is that now it's like, you know what? I know that Jesus died to be with you, but I just want you to know now you're going to need to talk to his mom. Really? Or worse yet. I mean, that's bad enough. I, I mean, if you could hear Mary, I bet in heaven, she'd be like, what are you talking about? Stop it. Maybe even that creepy. You know, I know you've never met this guy, but there's this guy, San Paulo de Escuna, da Esquina da Linguista, you know, somewhere in Portugal. And he, like, carried a sign and he sweat and it glowed. And he, we called him a saint. And if you really want to get this thing dealt with, pray to him. Do you know what that sounds like? Like you just stuck something right in the middle of the road to, to, to refuge, doesn't it? And it's like, well, you know, it's like now it's like, you know, I don't really need a close walk with God because I could just pray the prayer of St. Jude 25 times and get my car. Could you see God going, yeah, that's really great. You just keep doing that Well, I'll stand here and wait for you to come and be safe. There's no safety in that. And all of a sudden we start thinking that it's about something other than Jesus. And isn't that a hill now? And John says, I want every hill leveled. I don't want those there. I want you to have a straight shot to the Lord because he's at hand now. I want those valleys filled, man. I don't want you playing games so that you know that when you step in, you're safe. But then stay there. There, stay, stay, stay. And now make yourself at home. Well, funny, look at how the last portion goes. It moves from this then to this. Verse 15 One witness shall not rise up against a man. If a guy's going to die, it takes more than one witness. Because, let's face it, you could have an argument with someone, you could be a little bit more Mediterranean, so you've got a little bit more of a temper in you, a little bit, you, you run a little high, and the next thing you know, you just want that person dead. And you can make up whatever you want. We live in the most rumorous society I've ever seen in my life. It's in our newspapers. We live off of it. It's on every television channel. It's on every radio. It's throughout the Internet. We know more about people that we'll never meet than we often do about our own family. Let me ask you something. How many of you in this room, and this is a show of hands if you're brave enough, could within one minute... Give me the name of at least 30, I'll say go with 20, 20 movie stars. Raise your hand if you think. Within, if I were to count a minute, you could probably give me the names of about 20 movie stars. Past, present, maybe even dead. Don't be afraid. Okay? Good. Don't worry, I'm not going to take your picture and go, hey, look, everyone raise their hand. Okay, now let me ask you this. Ready? How many of you, if I gave you 10 minutes... Would be able to give me the name of 10 of your neighbors. Raise your hand. Okay, look around. See the difference. Now, here's the point: is that a rumor is, it tells us in the book of Proverbs, it's like a tasty trifle. It's that little thing that you just go, Mmm, that's good. My brother would say that a lie can travel around the world while the truth is getting its boots on. And he says, listen, it's going to take two witnesses because a human life is too important. There are seven things the Lord hates. Yes, eight that are detestable to him. A haughty look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. He tells us he hates that. And he goes, here's the deal. And I love the way God works. This is how God protects the innocent. Whatever would have happened to the person if he were found guilty just goes on your head instead. Well, that's a way. See, God is this way of protecting the innocent. Could you imagine if our laws were based upon biblical standard? For instance, if someone stole from you, when they got caught, they had to restore four times what they stole. I mean, I think the best thing that ever happened would be the day that somebody stole from me. You know, I'm like, I'd, I'd probably, please steal my laptop, right? Or You know, whatever, you know it's like, that can, you know, and, and the idea is simple. It's like God wants to make sure that the innocent are protected. There's the point. And the way you can't have the innocent protected if the guilty are not punished. Of course, which, of course, leads me again to the trial of Christ, where it tells us in the gospel of Mark, chapter 15, that they were 14, that they were looking for false witnesses. And even the false witnesses themselves did not agree with each other. And the high priest turns and says, so, what do you have to say with yourself about that? You imagine these people are like, they can't even agree with themselves. And they're like, so, what's your defense to that? Like, defense to that? Are you crazy? Jewish jurisprudence says that at the, the moment a false witness arises in a trial, it's an immediate mistrial. The whole thing is dismissed. But, of course, there are two completely rigged trials that will be in history. The one where the perfectly innocent Jesus goes and dies of the most guilty sinner. And then the one where this most guilty sinner stands totally innocent before God because of it. Very, very rigged trials. And thank you, Lord, for both. Because the first had to happen for the second to come to be. So put this all together as we close this up. We need an honest witness. We need an honest witness because if we don't have an honest witness, what good is this anyways? They go, wait a minute, that attaches to not moving boundaries? Well, of course it attaches to not moving boundaries, because why would I move boundaries? I can't be an honest witness if I'm moving boundaries. And if I'm not moving boundaries, well, then how does that apply to the first part, which is the issue of getting people to refuge? Well, that's simple. That's where the boundaries are about. Where am I at with Jesus Christ Do I believe in his literal death, his literal resurrection? Do I believe that he really died for my sins, but also for your sins? Do I believe that he literally rose and offers me a brand new life now? Because he does. And if I'm willing to grasp that, I get all of this and I put it together. And this is what I hear God saying. I've made you a watchman on the wall. Look, at if they come and you tell the people, but they don't prepare for battle and they die. Yeah, they're going to die, but you'll be innocent. But if they show up, the enemy shows up and you don't tell them the blood's on your hands. And I think how sincere that is for God to tell Ezekiel such a thing. I think, oh God, make me a faithful witness like you. Because that's exactly what Jesus says in Revelation. The true and faithful witness. Do you remember how this started? It started with all the promises of God are in him. Yes, amen. God is the faithful witness. The Lord is my refuge. Jesus is that faithful and true witness, and he calls me to be representing him. So this is what it looks like as we go to pray. God has called you. First of all, let me ask you, have you experienced the refuge of Jesus Christ? Have you said yes to that offer? Aren't you thankful that people didn't put things in your way? You know, some of those things could just be as much as, well, you know, once you get saved, we could probably go out. That's still something in the way. Or, well, you know, if that's the case, you're probably going to have to cut your hair this way or get, you know, some churches you have to like wear a tie and cut your hair. and other places, you have to grow it long and get a tattoo. It's like, can you imagine what heaven's going to look like if God just for a moment kind of brings all of that together and you'd be standing next to somebody and you're like, wow, this is the first time we've ever been next to each other. This is really not going to be about any of that. It's going to be about Jesus. I mean, am I putting any, am I digging ditches in front of people and saying, don't worry, it's easier this way? Or am I putting things in front of them and saying, don't worry, but you're going to have to do this and this and this. And if you can do these things, maybe you'll get to refuge. I was dead in my trespasses and sin, and Jesus met me there because I couldn't get there on my own. Dead people don't get places, not at least without help. Am I being a faithful witness to you? You know what I'm learning, and you think I know this by now, but it's just every time you're inserted into a new culture, no matter where you go, when you tell people the truth, even with the greatest love and sincerity and gentleness, some people are just going to hate you for it. So can I just say in love, get over it now? You're just going to have to do it because I'd rather stand before God innocent. I'd rather offend them than God. Now I'm not telling you, be a giant jerk for Jesus. I'm saying, tell the truth in love. But can I say, what about yourself? Are you telling yourself the truth in love? Or are you still digging ditches for yourself? Saying, well, this is cool when God said it isn't. What can I just say? Or building these things and saying, I have to do, I have to do, I have to do, that God didn't say you did. As we go to prayer, beloved, I'd like to ask this. If you've made a claim to Jesus Christ, will you pray with me today to be the faithful witness God's called us to be? And say, you know what? If nothing else, today for the moment, can I just get some more cement in your shoes to say, hey, if God set it as a boundary, it's a boundary. He's not going to take a vote. Let God be true and every man a liar. You go, but the culture, yeah. Well, that, what that tells us is if the culture is far from Scripture, which one of the two is the problem? Oh, that we would represent. Like, we need to stop giving things up and start representing. People are like, oh, I'm not going to preach at you. Oh, preach, please. I'm not going to be a Bible basher. You know what? How about start with being a Bible reader? It's amazing how many people are like, I'm not going to bash you with the Bible. Well, you know what? You're not going to do anything with the Bible. Why don't you start reading it? And you'll realize Scripture will come out of your mouth like it should. Because it's administering therapy in the proper way. It's administering the cure. So as we go to prayer, believers, those of you who have said yes to Jesus, Will you pray with me that God immerse us in his spirit in such a way that we really become like Christ, the faithful and true witness? Unyielding where we need to in regards to God's truth, but yielding in the area of people and no expense of the truth to offer grace. Because the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Both. Both. Lastly, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ or you're not sure if you have, you can walk out of here, sure. I'm going to give you the opportunity to hear as we pray. I'm going to ask you to listen to a prayer in a moment. And as you do, at the end of it all, I ask you to say, if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say yes. It's that simple. Pray with me, would you please? Lord God, as we prepare for communion today, I want to start by making sure we're right with you. You tell us, let each man examine himself. And that's my heart today here. First, Lord, for every believer, including myself, Lord, if I've been busy digging ditches instead of paving roads, forgive me. If I've been busy putting obstacles in the way, forgive me. And I guess for the moment, it makes more sense than it ever has how you and Scripture say, Amidst all of the other standards and 627 different things you put, even in the Torah itself, you say, don't put obstacles in front of blind people. And you think, who would have to even say that? But I realize that if somebody hasn't accepted your gift, Jesus, they're blind spiritually. And why would I want to put obstacles in front of a blind person? But rather, to make the road to refuge. The route to refuge, as easy and simple and true as it is. You've made your gospel simple. Forgive me for where I've complicated what you've made simple. And make the road to refuge in my heart that straight. No loose liberal theology, no valleys dug. No additional things like praying to saints and crawling up on things on my knees and giving obeisance to human beings. Like the hills that need to be leveled. But Jesus, just you and me. That's where you start anyways. And from there, you build a family and you build a church and you change the world. And God, I pray that you would get us back to that core where it belongs. And we'd say, yes, God, you and me. And in that, Lord, you would make me a faithful witness to myself first, that I'd be honest about sin in my own life. And then honest about that sin to others as well. Not for the purpose of just calling people sinners, but again, for the purpose of being a person that would walk others to refuge. And here in this room now, if you've not or you're not sure if you've ever accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. I don't have to convince you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We've already said that. You just have a choice to make of whether you will agree with this. And if so, then I ask you to give a confident and resounding amen. And this is what it is, this prayer. God in heaven, I am a sinner, just like everyone. I'm a sinner. And you've said that I'm accountable for that sin. But you so loved me that you sent your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that all of my sin and every other human being's sin could be paid for. And when he died there, it was paid in full. And just like your scripture promised, he died was buried, and just like Scripture promised, three days later he rose again and now offers me a new life, a life free from the guilt of the bloodshed of my own sin, but rather now one engulfed in the safety of your refuge. And for that, Jesus, I say yes. I say yes to you as my payment, as my Lord, as my ransom, as my Savior, Have me now and make me yours. Engulf me in your safety as I belong to you. I hand you the mess of my life. Turn it into something beautiful, I pray. Jesus, in your name. If you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say, Amen.